Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you may be afraid to ask. Start your engines, because today we are tackling the topic of evil and suffering. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. All right, so this is a big topic. Yes. And I think if we start at the beginning, where did evil come from? The way I look at it is that evil is the absence of good. So we have a good God who's always existed, and he creates a good world, and he doesn't also create evil, but he's created a world in which we are given free choice, and we can choose not to participate in his goodness, not to respond to his goodness, and the result of that is evil. The result of that is bad things happen. Yeah, so from my perspective, what you're saying is that good and evil is like light and darkness. Mm -hmm. So darkness is the absence of light, just as evil is the absence of good. So is it safe to say that goodness wasn't created, therefore evil wasn't, even if it didn't come into play until much later? Well, I think we can say with confidence that God is good. And when we see him doing his creative work in Genesis 1, he continually looks at it and calls it good. Mm -hmm. So he does create good things, but he doesn't create good as a separate ent entity. Right. The things he created are good because they're a reflection of his own goodness. Mm -hmm. All right, so that brings us to the topic of Satan. Mm. Did Satan fall from heaven? Was he an angel? Is Satan himself the devil? Mm -hmm. Was he created by God? Yeah, the Bible is not as clear on this as a lot of people would like. And so much of what comes to our mind when we think about Satan or the devil actually arises from medieval imaginative writings, you know, Dante's Inferno and other writings that, that sort of fleshed out a full idea of hell and Satan and levels of heaven and all that sort of thing. So here's what we do know, what I think can be pretty safely concluded from reading scripture, although the blow-by-blow blow of it is a little bit harder to grab. Satan is a spiritual being who leads others in rebellion against God's rule. So the Bible doesn't clearly show us the fall of Satan, but it's hinted at in a couple of places. So one place is in the Garden of Eden, where we have this snake who's tempting Adam and Eve, tempting Eve at first and then Adam and Eve. Um, where did this snake come from? How did he get in the garden? There seems to be when Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, they choose not to trust his word um, and they eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. They're choosing to seize autonomy for themselves as the Bible project often puts it. Um, and that that choice away from God mirrors a choice that Satan and his angels also have made. So the closest parallel we can see in scripture, the closest potential moment is in Genesis chapter six, that has this very mysterious story about the sons of God and the daughters of men who, who produce children together and their offspring are the Nephilim. So what is the Nephilim? 
Okay, so the Nephilim are these men of renown, potentially really large men like giants who lived in ancient times, and they were thought to be the offspring of angels and humans. So fallen angels are, are basically marrying human women, and these offspring of theirs are like quasi-divine human beings. This is one view of Genesis chapter 6, but it's a hard text, and there's a lot of debate. And if you, if you look at Bible commentaries, most of them say, we're not really sure whether this is royal people who are marrying commoners or fallen angels who are marrying humans. Either is possible. If it's describing the fall of, of Satan or the fall of the angels, then it seems to, again, parallel what we see in the Garden of Eden, where they're, they're leaving the properly bounded place that was laid out for them, and they're saying, no, I want to do my own thing. Okay, so I'm curious because we have like the story of when God created, created Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. but we don't from at least what I know, mm -hmm. get the, like, this is when angels were created yeah. and this is when they fell. Or yep. did they all, did Satan and his army start as angels mm -hmm. or were they a separate thing altogether? And I'm going to have to just answer with a question mark myself because I'm an Old Testament scholar and the Old Testament actually does not have a clear picture of Satan. It's not until we get to the New Testament that we talk more about Satan and the devil and even demons. There's very little about demons or Satan in the Old Testament. There's the snake who is not called Satan in Genesis chapter 3. And then there are a couple of texts that talk about an accuser who attacks someone, but really there's not a clear depiction of here's who Satan is and where he came from. So it's connecting some dots that are very far apart from each other to try to piece together what's going on in the spiritual realm. Yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts about that and from mm -hmm. verses that could be saying something that we've missed. Mm -hmm. One passage that a lot of people point to is either Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28, which both talk about the fall, um, someone who's fallen from heaven, but they're in the context of oracles, prophetic words against foreign kings. And so it's describing foreign kings, but it's using pretty cosmic language. And so some people say, this is a description of the fall of Satan. And other people say, no, it's not. That's talking about the king of Tyre. Okay, so this last sentence you just said was very professor. Okay. So do you want to break that down? There was like an oracle I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so an oracle is a prophetic word, a message that a prophet gets from God that they announce to people. Okay. So there's two prophetic announcements, one in the book of Ezekiel, one in the book of Isaiah, and they're, they're specifically targeting foreign kings and basically condemning foreign kings for their rebellion, for their pride and their greed that have taken them outside the bounds of what they should have been as rulers. So some people, when they read those passages, they say, this is a description of the fall of Satan. Other people say, not so much. This is a description of a fallen king. It's sort of being told in cosmic terms, either because Satan also fell, like these kings have fallen, or because cosmic imagery is the right imagery to use when you're talking about rulers who've overstepped their bounds. All right, well, that is some really good stuff. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how a good God can allow suffering. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. 
the Masters of Leadership in Global Christian Education is designed for educators who wish to expand their leadership abilities. The program offers the integration of global, biblical, and technological strategies to incorporate into your curriculum. This degree will equip you to lead and teach from a global Christian perspective, integrate biblical principles and teachings in the classroom, and leverage instructional technology to empower learners to further the Kingdom of God. Building on Prairie's 100-year history as a leader in biblical education, the program will equip you with advanced biblical literacy to apply to your educational context. After you complete the degree, you'll qualify for ACSI's Principal Certification. Start your application to join the 2022 cohort of learners and join a class of emerging education leaders from all over the world. Learn more at prairie.edu slash masters. Looking forward to seeing you in class. All right, welcome back. So now we're gonna talk about how a good God can allow suffering. So how can a good God allow suffering? That's a great question. So when we started in part one, we talked about how a good God created a good world. And for whatever reason, he decided that this world would be a better place if humans were given free choice. So there is suffering in the world, not because God wanted there to be suffering, but because God wanted there to be freedom of choice for mm -hmm. humans. We can choose for or against him. And because we live in a broken world where lots of people have chosen not to follow God's ways, therefore there is suffering. So this is an important question for us to tackle because a lot of people wrestle with, if God really loved me, why did he allow my dad to die? Or why did he allow my parents to get divorced? Or why did he allow these bad things to happen to me? And they often feel like they can't trust a God who would let those kind of things happen. So this is a thing that actually drives people away from their faith. But we need to keep remembering that we live in a world that's characterized by greed and selfishness and rebellion. And we live with not only the consequences of our own sin, but we live with the consequences of other people's sin and failures. And so when we look around at our world and it seems like things are not okay, it's not because God wanted it this way. It's because we've rejected his rule and we've tried to do things our own way. Okay, so God gives us free choice, but he's overall in charge, isn't he? He is in charge, but there are different ways of thinking about his power or his control over the events in the world. So there's two major views on how much control God exercises over the earth. So the fancy word for it is his sovereignty. That's his rule over all things. Does God plan out everything that will happen? Or is, is there a sufficient amount of freedom on humanity's part that things aren't always going according to God's plan? Those are the two questions that people wrestle with, or the two major views. So the, the one view is God plans and causes all things. So he knows and predetermines everything that's going to happen, whether it's good or bad. So you'll have, you'll have pastors talking about when there's a disaster, they'll preach about how this was all part of God's plan. Mm -hmm. That tornado or that pandemic or that school shooting was all part of what God needed to happen in order to have things turn out a certain way in the end. 
The other view is that God does not cause or plan all things, but that he uses all things for his purposes. So that when there's a tornado or a pandemic or a school shooting, it's not necessarily God orchestrating that. Those things happen because we live in a broken and fallen world. Mm -hmm. But then he promises to walk alongside us through those hard things. And he inspires us to walk faithfully with him He's limited his sovereignty to allow human freedom, and then he he comes alongside us. Okay, so one way I think about it, which is I don't think fits into either of those views, is that God is all-knowing, um, and whether he knows the future or not is debatable, but let's just say he does. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean he planned it. He can mm-hmm. use it to mm-hmm. his plan and for mm-hmm. his plan, but it's still human choice. Mm-hmm. But he knows what the outcome will be. Mm-hmm. So where does that stand? Yeah, so the fancy word for what you've just described, I think, is Molinism. Okay. And I, I'm also a Molinist. So I would say I believe that, that God can see he can see what I will freely choose. So I'm not choosing something because God's forcing me to choose it. He's given me freedom, but he knows me so well that he knows what I will choose. And then he can steer those outcomes in order to receive the most glory from that. And if you think the way I do, you may think, oh, well, I'm going to choose this way just to trick God (laughs) and um, surprise him. Well, he knows you even that well. (laughs) He does. He does. I, maybe I'll use just one passage to show. Um, so in Psalm 1, it talks about the righteous and the wicked, and it talks about their, their future destiny. So this will go back to what we talked about in part one with um, where does evil come from, and, and it will touch, too, on what we t- talk about in our podcast on heaven and hell. Um, so in, in Psalm 1, it's describing someone who's righteous, who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, but who delights in God's law. And that person's like a tree planted by streams of water who yields fruit in season. In contrast to that are the wicked who, do not st- who will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But it's the last verse I want to just touch on a moment. It says, For Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What I find interesting about this is that God is actively watching over those who are righteous, who are trying to live by his ways. He's watching us and he's, he's making sure to be with us and to guide us. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Notice it doesn't say God destroys the wicked. It just says the way of the wicked leads to destruction. They chose their own path and that's where it leads. I think this answers some questions about our eternal destiny. It answers some questions about where suffering comes from. Um, It is destructive for us to choose away from God and to do things that he said, this is not going to turn out well. Definitely. Well, that covers a lot of um, how a good God can allow suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it's a pretty simple take. Like That's how we grow with him. And how you learn things. All of my lowest points in life have created this like growth in mm-hmm. me um, and connections with others. So in yeah. the midst of it, it may yeah. seem really awful, which it can yeah. be. 
um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of the illustration with trees. If you have a tree that's in kind of a desert area mm -hmm. where it goes through a long season of drought, the roots reach down way deeper to find mm -hmm. water. But if you have a tree in a rainforest where there's water all the time, the roots are very shallow. Right. So if a big storm comes, it could just blow over really easily. Whereas a tree in the desert is really strong. Mm -hmm. And I think about that sometimes when I'm going through suffering. Um, again, not that God is bringing the drought, but that he uses the drought to strengthen mm -hmm. us so that we can stand up in hard times. All right, well, this is a lot of good material. Speaking of material, are there mm -hmm. some resources and materials that our audience can use to look at more perspectives? Sure. Yes, one book that I highly recommend is Christopher Wright, The God I Don't Understand. He deals with a number of tough questions, but he does so in a really accessible way. This mm -hmm. is not difficult to read. Um, the chapters are not long. He talks about suffering and evil, um, the Canaanites, being killed, why did Jesus have to die on the cross, and what happens at the end of the world. So he covers some really important touch points for Christian theology. In the beginning of our conversation today, we were talking about where Satan comes from, mm -hmm. and I wanted to just highlight the work of two Old Testament scholars who have different views on this subject, if you want to explore it for yourself. So the first is John Walton. This is his Old Testament theology for Christians. He makes a strong case that the Old Testament doesn't actually tell us about the origins of Satan. All right, and what about this one? That is The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. Michael Heiser is known for his work on um, what it says, the unseen realm, recovering the supernatural worldview of the Bible. And he, is, um, he has a lot of other resources. In addition to this book, he has a book called Demons and a book called Angels and a book called Supernatural, um, all of which deal with where did Satan come from? What is the spiritual battle that's going on? So Michael Heiser has a lot um, more well-developed view of where Satan comes from, if you're curious about that. Another great place to start is the Bible Project. They have a series of videos on God and angels and demons, and they, they made those videos in conjunction with Michael Heiser. So you'll see some of his influence on those. All right, these sound really interesting. Um, we'll be sure to link them down below, along with ways you can follow us on social media platforms mm -hmm. and get in contact with us, ask us tons of questions. We love questions. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two podcast. See you next time.